0: This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. And if you would take out that passage from uh, Exodus in the Pew Bibles, page 51, and also pray with me as we uh, look into it continue our series on this extraordinary adventure tale, epic adventure tale, the book of Exodus. Let's pray. Give us grace, O Lord, not only to hear your word with our ears, but also to receive it into our hearts and to show it forth in our lives for the glory of your great name. Amen. Human life is a constant argument with our Creator as to who is God, who is the master of the world, who has the knowledge. Of good and evil. Who is the Lord of life and death? The Israeli historian Yuval Noah Harari, who has written a best selling book called Homo Deus, that is not Homo Sapiens, what the scientists call us, wise man, wise human being, but divine man, claims that our technological mastery as a race means that we are now on the verge of defeating even death itself. He says, without apparent irony, death is optional. If traditionally death was the specialty of priests and theologians, now the engineers are taking over. Not even the doctors, it seems. The engineers. In the 21st century, we have put all our trust in our technical, our technical ability to answer all the questions we have about living in the world, even the ultimate questions, it seems. Defying God is not a new thing, but today we defy God with our computers and our machines. We are a proud race. And that's not something we just see on a vast cultural and historical plane. I mean it personally. We are proud people. You and I are proud. The human struggle with God for supremacy takes place every day in your heart. No matter how much we are confronted with our limits, our sins, and our mortality, we cannot accept, we find it difficult, very difficult to accept God's right to be God and want to put ourselves on the throne of heaven. But we'll see today, in the story of the Passover, two priceless truths, The first is this, if you defy God or try to be God, you will lose. And the second is this, if you trust God, you will survive. In other words, the best way to be a human being, the best way for you and I to be what we are made to be, is to recognize that we are made and not live in defiance, but have a humble faith. So where, is we, where are we up to in the story? Last week we heard about the great battle between the Lord, the God of Israel, and Pharaoh, the king, the sometimes divine king of the Egyptians. Moses, you might remember, had met God in the burning bush at Mount Sinai and heard God's special name. If you can remember what God's special name is. It's We translate it Yahweh, we transliterate it Yahweh, which means I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. It's a name that only God can give himself, can call himself. And Moses heard there God's promise in his complete freedom to be for the people of Israel, for the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to, to rescue them from slavery in Egypt. But Pharaoh would not let the people go. And so, as a challenge to Pharaoh's absolute power, the Lord unleashed a series of plagues on Egypt. First the Nile turned to blood, and then we had frogs, lice, flies, animal disease, boils, thunder and hail, locusts and darkness. Pretty average season in uh, the middle of Australia, I would have thought. Each plague was a statement to Pharaoh You claim to be in control of the order of Egypt. Not just the master of the political sphere, but also the order of nature itself. But are you really? Pharaoh's magicians got the message pretty quickly, especially when they were covered in boils themselves. But Pharaoh remained stubborn. He won't give in or... Rather, he flip-flops, he gives in for a time and says, all right, yes, they can go, and then he changes his mind. He can see that if he doesn't stand up to Moses, then he will look weak. And he can see that if he looks rattled by these extraordinary signs, he will also look weak. Things are clearly spiralling out of his control, and he doesn't like it one bit. He even starts to use the name of the Lord, Yahweh, He uses that name to speak about him to Moses, which leaves us wondering, has he subconsciously recognised the divine power of the Lord? Is he starting to get it in some strange way? He's a tragic figure, really, Pharaoh. Too besotted by his own divine status to see how it's destroying him and his people. Unable to see his own self-destruction. Letting the people of Israel go would be an admission of failure and he just can't do it, even though the signs have come to him one after another. He's a bit like a man who ignores all the safety warnings about an approaching bushfire and stays to defend his property with a garden hose. It's a tragic story we Australians are familiar with. And that's what we are like as well, all the signs that you are not God, are there. All the signs that you are not divine are pretty evident. You are not in control, even of yourself. And if you don't recognise it soon, you too, like Pharaoh, will be a tragic figure. And this is exactly what happens in our story to Pharaoh in the passage we had read today. Nine warnings are not enough. He won't let the people go. And so the Lord brings upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt one final devastating plague, the plague of death. Moses declares it. He says, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out through Egypt. Every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. If there was any culture we know of obsessed with death and the afterlife, it was, of course, Egypt. Their The monuments to their fixation on death and the afterlife are there for us to see, even today. The god Osiris was the god of the underworld, the god of death and rebirth, and yet here was another god making a statement that cut right across Osiris's turf. It's a horrific threat to make, a chilling plague to announce, and you might have recoiled to hear it. But there are three things that are a factor here that we should take into account First of all, this plague is just. This plague, you might remember, is a pretty much direct match of Pharaoh's own decree against Israel to kill all the male children of the Hebrews. Pharaoh and his people are getting their own decree back upon themselves. They are having what was done to their oppressed, to the oppressed people done to them, or at least threatened And because this judgment falls on the firstborn, it's hitting right at the heart of the dynastic monarch's belief in the permanence of his power. It's just. But secondly, it's also patient. God does not lash out. The whole long journey of the plague season is an example of God's grace and patience with Pharaoh. He's repeatedly given Pharaoh and his people the opportunity to respond, to repent, to accept his name again and again and again. He has called upon Pharaoh to let my people go. And now, likewise, he gives Pharaoh a clear warning. It is just and it is patient. But there is also a rescue plan. If it is just and patient, there's also a rescue plan here the Passover meal. Now, what was this special meal about? Of course, we in the eastern suburbs notice when our Jewish neighbours celebrate the Passover, and uh, it's interesting, uh, in talking to some people earlier, uh, they said, I've never known what the Passover was about. I knew that my neighbours celebrated this feast around about the same time we do Easter, uh, but I never knew what it was about. Well, here we discover what this Passover meal was about. In the previous plagues, the Israelites were untouched without them doing anything. But this time, they are called to do something, to shelter from the storm that is coming upon the land. They are called to align themselves with Yahweh, with I am who I am, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses tells them that they are to eat an emergency meal. They make bread without yeast because they haven't got time to wait for it to rise. It's the first instance of fast food in human history they i thought that would be funnier than it was they eat bitter herbs traditionally the jews today eat horseradish and romaine lettuce i believe to symbolize the bitter experience of slavery they are then to take a lamb without blemish slaughter it and put some of the blood on their doorposts then they are to eat the lamb and they have to eat the whole lamb and not eat any not leave any behind and if there are If you're too small a household to manage a whole lamb, you combine with another household so that all the lamb is eaten. Why? Well, the Lord says in chapter 12 and verse 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals, on all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. Look out, Horus. Look out, Osiris. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. What's going on here? We have a sign, we have a substitute, and we have a humble act of faith. A sign, a substitute, and a humble act of faith. The first is the sign. The roast lamb dinner is not just nourishing and tasty the blood of the lamb that it produces is a visible sign. It's a badge, a gory badge. Pass, It says, pass over this house and spare it. But let's think about this a bit more. Why this sign, the blood? The blood of the lamb means that there has been a death in this house. But the firstborn lamb has died instead of the firstborn. The lamb has become, in other words, a substitute, protecting the people from the judgment of God by taking the firstborn's place. The lamb has stood in the place where the firstborn was supposed to stand. Now, I'm sure you'll remember having a substitute teacher when you were at school. Those were good times. Usually, you, know, you could get on with what you wanted to do and sometimes mark up. Uh, but I was a teacher, and so I've seen it from the other end. And you often had to substitute for a colleague when they were sick or away on a conference. And I actually used to love um, surprising the students going in in a subject I knew nothing about at all and trying to teach the lesson on, say, geography or German. Now, to be honest, I wasn't a great substitute since I don't know any German really at all. The lamb was a substitute, but this was a perfect substitute. This lamb, you might might note, had to be free of blemish, a much better substitute than me, in other words. And the people of Israel, having made the substitute, needed to believe God. They needed to trust him absolutely. In contrast to the arrogance, the pride of Pharaoh, They needed to have a humble faith in God's plan and sit down at the table and eat his meal of safety and protection. And God would pass over them in his judgment. Now, they could have refused the plan. They could have scoffed at it. They could have said, this is ridiculous. Surely we should pick up swords or surely we should just run away from Egypt as fast as we can. If they'd ignored this plan, then they would have been like the Egyptians. And presumably, though the text doesn't tell us this, from the pattern of the Bible and the way it goes, the Egyptians could have chosen to join with their Hebrew neighbours too. But to be safe, they had to put aside their pride and eat the meal that God gave them to eat. Now we'll hear a little bit more about the Passover meal next week. But the Passover is also a template for God's message to us here today. It's a stark message in many ways, as we've heard already. It's a message of justice, but also a message of patience and rescue. Like Pharaoh, God is warning you. He sent you repeated warning signs. He's warning you that a devastating and just judgment is coming on your pride. We cannot defy God. We cannot shake our fists at the Almighty. We cannot spit in his eye. And it is tragic that we try. You have the evidence of the universe in all its majesty and grandeur and beauty and complexity and fruitfulness that the Lord, the God of Israel, is supreme. And then you have the experience of his power in the wind and the waves and the hail and the sun. And lastly, you have the evidence of the weakness of your own body and the frailty of your own will and the approaching darkness of death. Do not stay. Do not stay like Pharaoh in open defiance of the Lord because the wrath of God will surely be against you. It's a just judgment. But God is patiently warning you again and again and again. Don't be like Pharaoh. Don't be like the man who ignores the warnings to leave his property in a bushfire. But not only is God warning us, in his mercy, he's provided a rescue plan in the form of a man that people called the Lamb. If the warnings and God's patience aren't enough to humble you and bring you in under his protection, then consider his great mercy, his extraordinary love, his remarkable rescue plan. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Apostle Paul s- says, Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. Just as in the Passover, the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, is a sign that God will pass over us in his judgment because Jesus has died as a substitute for us. In our place, on the, cross, on the cross, the wrath of God was terribly poured out on humankind in a devastating sign of just how dire the situation our pride has led us into. And yet, pinned to that cross, was our substitute, our lamb, a sign that God is is here to rescue us. So what are we to do? Well, just as the Israelites were, we are invited to a rescue meal. Sitting down to eat a meal is a great picture of what it is like to have the humble faith that God calls us to. What it is like to submit to God's rescue plan. God's rescue plan for us involves His feeding us He nourishes us in it. He sustains us. It benefits us. We share together as a people in the body and blood of Jesus because he covers us. He is the sign, as it were, on our doorposts that we are safe. We sit together sheltered by his sacrifice of himself. So stop arguing with God and accept his invitation to feed on the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who died for you. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources, and find more information about the community of St. Mark's.